Well, if you would turn uh, with me in your Bibles to the eighth psalm. Uh, as you said before, the psalms is right in the middle of the Bible, so if you open it up in the middle, it's likely you will find it right there. And I'm going to read uh, the eighth psalm for us. So Psalm 8, for the director of music, according to Gitteth, a psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, I've called this uh, sermon, How Majestic Is Your Name? Uh, We see that uh, twice in verses 1 and verse 9. And there was no uh, plan that me and Tim made together to have uh, the majesty of the Lord as the themes of our sermons in the morning and the evening. But obviously the Lord uh, wants us today to focus on that theme of His majesty. Well, on the the 20th of July, uh, 1969... Uh, one of the most famous, one of the most famous dates in the history of humankind. Uh, on this day, the Apollo 11 mission landed on the moon, and the first humans set foot on the surface of the moon. It's a historic achievement, and one which really only mankind of all of Earth's creatures would ever really be able to do. Uh, The moon landings show the immense capacity of mankind to achieve great feats of engineering, endurance, and exploration. Now, there is much that you may know about the moon landings. Uh, Some of you, I know, have uh, remember watching them when you were obviously much younger. But what many of you don't know perhaps, is that the astronauts took with them to the moon a small disk of goodwill messages from many world leaders that they wanted to leave on the moon. Uh, Back in those days, there wasn't uh, USB sticks or uh, anything like that to to put them on. They were on literally on a a disk that you put in a microscope, you you can read all of these messages. And on that disk... One of those messages is the text of Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is on the moon. 
It is literally a psalm that is out of this world. And it is still there today. And the reason why this psalm is on the moon is because when we look at the moon and the stars, however great an achievement the landing on the moon is, we see how great God is and how small mankind is regardless of that great achievement. And those two themes of the smallness of man, but at the same time the the greatness of man and what man is capable of and what man is called to be comes up and is the theme of Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is a, a psalm of praise, praising the majesty of the name of the Lord. Uh, and, and it's good to come to this particular psalm at this point in the Psalter. The Psalter began in Psalm 1, showing us the way to blessing. Uh, if you like, the person that we ought to be, the person who is the one who delights in the word of the Lord. Psalm 2 showed us that blessing is found in worshipping the Lord through his anointed king, Jesus. But after Psalm 2, the, the picture of, uh, after seeing a picture of what life should be like, we found that the world that we live in isn't that kind of a world where mankind is living under God's rule and where mankind is worshipping the Lord. We've seen the fallenness of our world in Psalms 3 to 7. King David has been suffering as he rises to the throne, becoming ruler of Israel. And Psalm 8 then is a break in this story of brokenness to lift our eyes from the strife and the enemies and the chaos of our world and to remind us again of what life is supposed to be like, what we are made for as humanity. And so as we live in the, the mess and the chaos of our world and the mess and the chaos and the brokenness of our own lives, this psalm of praise shows us what life is supposed to be about. The psalm declares the majesty of the name of the Lord. But what surprises us is that this majesty is displayed most of all through humanity. Did you know that you were made by God to display the majesty of the Lord. That is what he made you for, to display his majesty, his glory. That is our goal. That is the destiny that he has made us for. That is how we can live the best life that we can live, the life that we're made for, when we declare with our lips and our lives, the majesty of the Lord. And coming to the end of this psalm, the response that we should be looking for as we read this together and study this together is to say with our lips and our lives, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And that's where this psalm begins. So first of all, in verse 1 and in verse 9, we see the majesty of the Lord declared. Notice that the beginning line of verse 1 and the whole of verse 9 say the same thing. The psalm begins and ends with the same words. It's what's known as an inclusio. 
the, the main points of the psalm brackets everything else. So verse 1 is the statement that's made that the Lord's name is majestic in all the earth. Then we see why that's the case. And then at the end, it's restated, having been proven in the verses in between. So the majesty of the Lord is stated, it is proven, and then it's stated again. So let's break down this phrase so that we can understand it. In English, we have the the, the same word, actually, Lord, used twice. But in your uh, English translations, you should see the first use of that word, Lord, is capitalized. And then the second word isn't, because they're actually two different words. The first use of the word is the English translation of, of, of Yahweh. That is the personal name of the God of Israel given to his people. And in our translations, normally that is capitalized as Lord. It's the, the, the name given in Exodus. It's the special name of God for his people. It's unique. It's not used for any other so-called gods that are worshipped. It is the name of our God. But the second Lord, the one not in capital letters, our Lord, means master or ruler or king. It is the title of one who is followed, obeyed and worshipped. And in fact, that name Lord could be used of a person, for example. So in our country, we have the House of Lords. Because they um, are supposed to be people we're supposed to follow. Now, of course, it's a bit antiquated in our country, but the, the point is, Lord there means a ruler. So the meaning here is that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the Lord, the king over his people. That's what David means when he says, Yahweh, our Lord. Yahweh, the Lord, our Lord, is the one his people follows. And he's the one who David praises with the words, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So majesty means excellence or power or beauty that is seen and that commands respect and reverence and awe. It is the the name of the Lord that is majestic. His name is excellent and powerful and beautiful. His name is is seen. His name is, commands respect and reverence and awe. And that's because the name in the Bible, the name of God, is a summation of all of the Lord's attributes. It's who he is in totality. All of him, everything about him, all he is, is majestic. All he is, is, is excellent. It's powerful. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And an infinite number of superlatives to which no language can have enough words and all languages combined are not enough to declare how majestic the Lord is. That's the name of our Lord, the name of the Lord. It's who he is and it's majestic. And the name of the Lord is a common theme actually in the Psalms. Uh, The editor of the Psalter put this psalm in the middle of Psalms 7 and 9 both of which contain praises of the Lord's name. So in addition to this psalm, in Psalm 7, verse 17, we read, I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. And in Psalm 9, verse 2, we will read, I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And this majesty, this this display of 
the excellence of the name of the Lord, David says, is in all the earth. There is not a millimeter of this earth upon which we inhabit that does not contain the majesty of God. In every part of the earth, the Lord's majesty is on display. Now, we may not see it. We may not perceive it. We may try to ignore it. There are places of depravity and places that are hellish. But nevertheless, in all of the earth, the Lord's name is majestic. It's majestic. And, God, and the God David is singing about is the unchanging God who today still is worthy of praise. And as his people, we are called, we are made to declare the praises of the majesty of the name of the Lord. Now we'll see this more clearly as we go on through the psalm, but it's worth pointing out that we should praise the Lord. As his people, we should praise the name of the Lord and declare his majesty. Notice too the the plurality of these verses. The Lord is our Lord. It doesn't say just my Lord, but our Lord. This is our God, the God of his people. And so therefore it is good and it is right that together as his people, we praise his name. And so together we sing. That's what we've been doing tonight, singing his praises. Together as we serve him, we do so as we de- declaring his praises, not just in what we sing and say, but in the way we act. Our lives should be a declaration of the majesty of the name of the Lord. And we do that better together as his people. So let's be sure as his people to, to enter into the declaration of his majesty. That means when we, we, we come together to sing, sing. Sing his praises from our heart that wants to declare the majesty of the name of the Lord. When you're serving him in the church, do so in such a way that aims to declare the majesty of the name of the Lord and show the world the excellence of our God and how amazing and wonderful he is. Because what we're going to see is that the way that God displays that majesty, most of all, is through his people. And we're going to see that that's a a mind-blowing and amazing thing. So David has declared the majesty of the Lord, but how do we see this majesty on display? In two ways, in the heavens and in humanity. So secondly, the majesty of the Lord displayed in the heavens. Notice the second part of verse 1. We read, you have set your glory in the heavens. Glory here means something like beauty on display. It is observable to people. Now in verse 3, we'll consider the stars in terms of their vastness compared to humanity. But here, we are to think of the heavens in terms of their beauty and their wonder. Now, the, the, the statistics about stars and planets and galaxies are mind-boggling, aren't they? When you, you think about them. So, if you were to look up in a night sky, probably not in our country where it's usually cloudy, and where there is no light pollution at all, you can see about 2,000 stars on a very dark night with no um, light pollution and when the moon isn't bright. 2,000 stars. But astronomers estimate that there are a trillion stars in the Milky Way galaxy and there are millions of galaxies. And numbers that are 
are mind-blowing. Just the, the, the distances are mind-blowing. The nearest star that to us is our sun, which would take 70,000 years for our fastest spacecraft to reach. And it takes light years to reach any other stars. 4.2 light years traveling uh, to reach the next closest star after the sun. And even if we were to figure out a way of doing that, and someone was to start traveling at the speed of light for four and a half years, as soon as they get close to it, they'd be burnt up because of the incredible heat that the stars produce. And then there's the size of the stars. The, our sun is a small star, but it's about 1.4 million kilometers across. But there are stars 1,500 times bigger than our sun. Amazing statistics, aren't they, to contemplate when you just think about those numbers, the, the bigness and the vastness. And, and then you look at them and, and you see their beauty and you, we, we're able to look through telescopes and, and see the, the colors and the, the wonder of it all. Doesn't it blow your mind? And it, and, it, and it should lead us to worship the Lord because notice it says, you set your glory in the heavens. We don't worship the heavens but the heavens help us to worship the God whose glory they display. Those, those amazing stars and planets and galaxies are there to show us how amazing God is. God is, is, is independent of his creation. The heavens are there to display the majesty of the Lord. And our role as his people is to declare that to all the earth. But as amazing as the heavens are, the focus on this psalm is on the other way that God displays his majesty. In fact, according to this psalm, the main way God displays his majesty, amazingly we see the majesty of the Lord displayed in humanity. The purpose of these verses is not to glorify humanity, but to show how as humanity we are designed to glorify God and display his majesty in our world. But the fact is that humanity has failed to do this. And so in verse 2, notice there we read of enemies of this majestic God, of the foe and the avenger. There are those who rebel against God's rule and will not live as God made us to live. People who are against God, who exploit his word or ignore it altogether. And rather than declare his majesty, they loudly proclaim how great they are. And as we heard this morning, they make a name for themselves. And that is all of us. All of us have done that. All of us have rejected God's rule over us. We've looked at the stars and we've looked at ourselves and we've looked at the world God has made and we've not declared his majesty. But notice in verse 2 how the, how the Lord brings glory to himself by silencing those enemies that rebel against him. It says he does this through the praise of children and infants. Children and infants are small and the most vulnerable members of society. They would probably uh, be up to three years old. That's the kind of age we're looking at here in, the, in these words. Now if you imagine having a great enemy that you needed to defeat... You wouldn't, I mean, we, recently we've, we've uh, as a, in the news, have been told about needing to build up an army. Well, if that day comes, you're not going to send the naught to three-year-olds to go fight the enemy, are you? But God 
says he's defeating his enemies through the praises of children and infants. God calls the the weakest and the most vulnerable to praise him and through their worship establishes a stronghold to silence his enemies. With God's name on their lips, children and infants can defeat the strongest of God's enemies. With God's name on their lips, the most vulnerable and the weakest in our society can silence the foe and the avenger. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus was entering Jerusalem and children were praising Jesus as God. And the religious leaders, the enemies of Jesus who were trying to stop him, wanted to, uh, were, were, were praising him. And they, the religious leaders said to Jesus, stop them from praising you. And listen to, to what happened. We read, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. The children understood what the religious leaders did not. Jesus is Lord. And their praise silenced and shamed the foe and the avenger. In fact, this is a broader New Testament theme. Uh, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Now, when we read of children and infants, we can expand this to all those who are weak and vulnerable. So if you are here tonight and you are a child or a teenager or you're unpopular or you, are, uh, you have an illness or a sickness, mentally or otherwise, or you're elderly or you're vulnerable in any kind of way, there is good news for you. As you declare the majesty of the Lord... The Lord is using you to fulfill his kingdom purposes of silencing the foe and the avenger. And if you feel weak and vulnerable, you are just the kind of person that God uses to do amazing work as you declare his majesty. But in reality, as we'll see, all of us as humanity are weak and vulnerable. Some of us may not recognize it. And all of us are called by Jesus to humble ourselves and come to him like a child, in dependence on him and in faith. And when David recognizes how God uses human beings to fulfill his kingdom purposes, to display his majesty, it causes him to worship and to wonder. David is caused to be amazed at how God displays his majesty through human beings. And he does this by recognizing three truths about humanity and how God displays his majesty through them. We see how God's majesty is displayed through their fragility, through their dignity, and through their authority. So first of all, through human fragility. Now David was a shepherd before he was king, And you can imagine him sitting in his field, 
looking up at the night sky. There was no light pollution in Israel in those days, and it was likely that they had less cloud than we do in the UK. And as, he, as David looks up at the stars, he considers. By the way, I think this is a good thing for us to do sometimes. Just have a look at the stars and have, as you look at them, worship God and see how amazing he is in making those stars. But as David does that, notice what he says uh, there in, in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place. Notice first of all there, by the way, God, God made the heavens. I love that phrase, the work of your fingers. It's like God has made a, a tapestry of fine needlework. It's intricate, it's purposeful, it's delightful. He set those stars in place. What's interesting is this morning uh, we read about how humanity with their fingers makes idols. And um, I remember when, when, when uh, uh, we were uh, at school, uh, um, took our children to school one time in Devon, there was this one parent, uh, when you had like World Book Day, that must have spent all year preparing for World Book Day. And like World Book Day for us was you kind of see what's in the cupboard and do your best. And so our kids turn up dressed as whatever we could find. And, this, and, and you felt like proud that you'd made this, this, this outfit. But there was this one parent that showed up and honestly, like you looked at what they'd made and you just felt absolutely useless. Like, what are we doing? Like, they're amazing. And th- I, feel, I feel like this morning, you, humans have made these, these rubbish idols <laughs> and they think they're really great. And then God says, yeah, but with my fingers, look what I've done. <laughs> doesn't compare does it and other other places in the bible we read in genesis 1 god made the stars also later in the psalms he determines the number of the stars and he calls them each by name and when you look at the stars don't you feel so small don't we feel so kind of insignificant when you look at the greatness of the stars the overriding sense here though is not insignificant so much as fragility And David feels this in in verse 4. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you you care for them. The words are interesting here. Uh, The word translated here as mankind is a word in Hebrew, enosh. And it's a word that highlights the weakness and fragility of humans, not their strength. There are other words David could have used to describe mankind. But here he deliberately uses a word that is defined by weakness and mortality. Uh, One writer uh, says a good word might be earthlings. And when he says then human beings, it's literally son of man. Not the title of Jesus that we read in the book of Daniel, but it means a temporary person who is here today and gone tomorrow. The point is when you look at the moon and the stars and all that God has made, And how great he is that he does this described with his fingers. As humanity, we feel small and fragile. Here today, gone tomorrow, very small. And David is amazed that God is mindful of us and cares for us. Mindful is to to have in mind. 
So, and, it, and it's to have as a priority in your mind. So, for example, I try to ring my mum every week. She's on my mind. She's important to me. I'm mindful of her. That's, that's the kind of idea that's, that's going on there. And the word for care is to seek out and to, 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 to put your arm around and to, to care for and to help. Like a family member that's unwell. You go out of your way to do so. And David is, is amazed that God has that kind of care and love for people as fragile as us and chooses to display his majesty through us, even when he has the heavens to do that as well. It's like uh, having a, like a portfolio of, of artwork and you go to, to show like the best that you have, maybe to get a job or something, and what does God show us the best in his portfolio? He could show the stars and the, the planets and all this beauty and all this glory. But what does God say? How is his majesty shown? He turns to frail humanity and says, here it is. Here's how I display my majesty. Isn't, isn't that amazing? But God delights to use the weak and the frail to display his majesty. And it is through those of mankind who, like David in verse 4, recognize this, that God's majesty is, is on display. And it's worth making a point here of application that although it's not the main point of the psalm, it's still really important. If God cares so much for frail humanity, and if God delights to use the weak and the vulnerable then we too should have a high view of humanity in terms of how we care for the most vulnerable in our society. Which is why as Christians, we must care and speak out for the, the unborn and the elderly and the disabled and the mentally ill and so on. And we hear rumblings in the news about legalizing assisted suicide, which would be a disaster for the vulnerable among us, who would be encouraged to be killed rather than cared for. And so we should be remembering to pray against those things and, and be like our God in caring for the frail and the vulnerable, being mindful and caring for them. So we've seen human fragility, but in verse 5 we see how God's majesty is on display through human dignity. Uh, David in verse 5 uh, is almost certainly referring back to Genesis 1 where mankind was made in the image of God. Uh, this is unique in creation. No other creature or anything else created, even the heavens, even the angels themselves are made in the image of God. But in this verse, the word translated as angels is literally God. Most translations go with heavenly beings or angels, but the point being is that in all creation, under God, human beings were given the highest position that there is. To be made in the image of God actually means that contrary to what many people tell you, it is not any animals, apes or otherwise, that is our closest relative. Our closest relative is God. To be made in the, the image of God is the highest calling of anything in creation. And it's, not, and it's only humans in creation that have been crowned with glory and honor. The word here for glory is 
a reflected glory. So we show the glory of God rather than being glorious in and of ourselves. We are made to reflect and show the glory of God, to display and declare his majesty. Similarly, honor here speaks of splendor or grandeur. In other words, humanity is in some way uh, in, in some way sharing in the characteristics of their creator. Something which is amazing considering their fragility. So we can praise God for this, not because we think that we are amazing, but notice it was the Lord himself who made us a little lower than the angels. It was his decision. He crowned humanity. We didn't do it ourselves. And so we glorify him as we are made to. To understand, I think, what, what, it, what, is, what it is to bear God's image, uh, a helpful way of thinking about this is that in the ancient world, uh, kings made statues that they set up around their kingdom to be a visible representation of the king to the people in that locality. The statue showed what the king was like. It served as a constant reminder of his presence and it extended the claim of royal authority over the place where the statue stood. And humanity, in that sense, are God's representatives in his world. We are made to, to show what God is like, to remind the creation of his presence, and to extend his claim of authority over the world by living in his world under his authority. And having that dignity... Having that dignity from God is to be expressed in authority. And that's the third way that God's majesty is displayed through humanity, their authority. In verses 6 to 8, we see the role of mankind at creation. So look at verse 6. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. So in Genesis, we see that God gave Adam and Eve authority to rule over his world, representing him to display his majesty in all the earth and to live in, in that sense as, as, as they were designed to live. Uh, to put something under the feet is to, to keep it in subjection. Uh, in ancient times, a victorious king would, would put the, the, the neck of someone under their feet. It was, it was to show that they were under their authority. And in verses 7 and 8, we see how everything means all of creation. Every animal, bird, fish, and other water creatures. And this was shown in Genesis 2 when Adam named the animals. Naming them was a sign of him exercising his authority. And today, as humanity, we are supposed to do the same, to display God's majesty to our world through our care for the world he's made, especially including the people in the world, the other image bearers, and whilst there's much we could disagree with in terms of the green movement, and while scientists debate causes and solutions to environmental problems, Christians should agree that we should care for the world that we're in. We should be good stewards of the resources God has given us. And we display God's majesty as we live under his rule, under his word, the word that is given for humanity to flourish in his world. That's how we, we exercise authority. We live under his word. And as we live in this way, we display the majesty of the Lord 
A majesty which in verse 9 we read that we are to continue to declare. What are we made for? What are we here for? We are made and we are here to declare and display the majesty of the Lord. However, having said all of that, there is a major problem with Psalm 8. I don't know if you find in this psalm something amiss. We see here a life that humanity is made for and a world that humanity is made for, but this is not the experience that we see. I mean, the world is not subject to us, really. We can't even, as James points out, tame our own tongues, let alone rule over anything else. We see a world that is broken by humanity, not declaring and not displaying the majesty of God. And whilst as humans we do display it to some extent, it certainly is not what is described in this psalm, is it? This psalm is on the moon and it feels like it is a bit out of this world and out of our reach, doesn't it? Which is why this psalm is ultimately about Jesus Christ. The man who fulfills the destiny of humanity and who in fullness displayed and declares and continues to display and declare the majesty of the Lord to all the earth. The moon and the stars are the work of Jesus' fingers. John chapter 1 verse 3 says that all things were made by him. And yet Jesus, God the Son, became flesh. He became frail humanity. He became a child and an infant and was the one who God used through the weakness of the cross to defeat Satan's sin and death, the greatest of enemies, the foe and the avenger, and to silence them. Jesus died for our sins and he rose again from the dead and he is establishing a new creation with a new humanity of all who put their faith in him. A humanity that declares the majesty of the Lord. The book of Hebrews speaks of this truth. In Hebrews, the writer is showing how Jesus is superior to the angels because he became a human being. Angels can't save us from our sin, but Jesus can and does by becoming a man. Hebrews says this, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, speaking of the, the new creation about which we're speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What this is saying is that there is a new world coming where everything will be under the feet of humanity. But that humanity will be made up of those who have put their faith in Jesus the man who has subjected everything to himself. The one who died in our place. The one who is risen from the dead. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. And we are too, but only through faith in him. 
If you want to live the life that you are made for, put your faith in Jesus. Live for him. Have him transform you into the man or woman he made you to be. And the fact that God does that for us, isn't that amazing? We should be amazed that God is mindful of us, not just because of our frailty in comparison when we look at the stars, but we should be amazed that God's mindful of us because of our sin. We should be amazed that he cared enough about us to send his son to die in our place and change us into the people he made us to be. Isn't that amazing that God would do that for us? Right now, everything is under the feet of Jesus. He does rule over all as the man who is risen from the dead. We don't experience that ourselves yet. Not everything is under our feet, but one day we will experience this in full. Through Jesus, we're able by his spirit to live the life we're made for, to display his majesty through living according to his word. And as we see God transforming lives all over the world, it causes us to praise him using psalms like this. His name is declared by many people all over the world. And we continue to praise him until the day comes when the words of this psalm won't just be on the moon or on the lips of a few believers in a broken world. Rather, the whole of creation, all creatures, will burst forth in praise and say together, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That will be our song forever with all of creation. And so let me invite you to live the life you're made for, the life of worshipping Jesus. If you want to talk more about this, then please come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to point you to the one who transforms you into the person that you're made to be. But right now, what we're going to do is to sing God's praise. Uh, we're made to worship. As I said uh, earlier on, this psalm uh, teaches us that we are to declare his majesty. And so we're going to sing together all creatures of our God and King and sing together hallelujah to our Lord. Let's stand and let's worship the God who has made us.
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.